and adorns. It extracts and adorns. It extracts us from us and adorns us with him. So first of all, extract. Um, think of your picnic plate later this afternoon. You're gonna have lots of things on your picnic plate, 4th of July parties and everything else. So you're, you're piling your plate high and you only get one plate, some of you, okay? You only get one plate. So you're piling your plate high and you think, I want that too, because I really want that too. Well, you don't just put the, the, uh, the, the banana, uh, banana um, on top of the, of the barbecue, okay? Uh, you don't put the peach cobbler, you don't mix the two together. So before you can do anything, you've got to extract something off of your plate, whether you go sit down and eat it or something else or not take too much. So the first thing God's glory does is extracts us from us because we do have sin and pain and suffering and, and, and other things like that. And the second thing his glory does is it, is it adorns us. Okay, picture a Christmas tree, if you will with ornaments all up and down and it looks beautiful. Well, somebody has to adorn the tree with ornaments, okay? So that's what God's doing with his glory. His glory is extracting us from us and adorning us with him. God bless America with his glory. Amen and amen and amen. First of all, I wanna thank Pastor Jeff and all the Mount Horror people for allowing me to speak today. It is such a uh, privilege and pleasure. Uh, Jeff and I have been uh, collaborating for the last two weeks on this. He's uh, in the auditorium now giving a, a message on the power of deliverance, the same as, as, as I'm doing here. We have to understand as far as everybody seated here, I believe probably everybody seated here, has a dual citizenship. Yes, we're Americans but we also are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we have to recognize that dual citizenship. One is temporal, one is external, uh, eternal, external, eternal. And therefore we've got to recognize that we don't in America need more laws, legislation or anything else like that, but we need spiritual healing. We need deliverance, we need transformation. Can I get an amen for that? Absolutely. So first of all, we're gonna dive into the message. The message is the power of deliverance. What does that mean? I need to, I, I'm a wordsmith. I like to unpack words. So let's look at deliverance for a minute, if you will. Deliverance means simply to be set free. Okay, it means to be set free. Normally we think of being delivered or set free from our circumstance of, a, of an illness, financial hardship, employment issues, or other stressors of life. Take me out of the fire, right? Take me out of the fire. We want to be delivered from our trials, tribulations, troubles, and afflictions. But spiritual deliverance means to be set free mentally and emotionally through Christ, regardless of the trials and tribulations we face. Indeed, it means to have the peace in the storm, not just when the storm has passed. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They never prayed going into the fire. Okay, they had done something that the king said, everybody's supposed to bow down and they decided they weren't going to, the book of Daniel. And therefore these three headed off to, to the pit to be, to be thrown into the fire. A couple of the guards died along the way. They got thrown in the pit and what happened? They never prayed to get out because Jesus met them there. Because Jesus met them there. And therefore we've got to recognize that deliverance doesn't mean you have to be outside of the event. You don't have to be beyond your circumstances to be delivered. It can be in the peace that surpasses all understanding. God doesn't want you in chains. Okay, I'm just gonna tell you that. 
We'll get into further about God allows you to get into change, but he chains, but he doesn't want you in chains. And I did steal something from Jeff as we were getting together this week. He said this, pain can lead you to chains or pain can lead you to change. Let me say it again. Pain can lead you to chains or pain can lead you to change. So we're going to go over a little bit of, of Psalm 38. Uh, the psalmist David um, was uh, the book of Psalms, uh, and he was a prime example of a lot of difficulty in his life. I would love to, un I would love to read Psalm 38, but I think I'm going to give you a little summary first just so that I can get you into the understanding of, of what it's all about before I just throw it on you. So this Psalm of David is an urgent petition. He's crying out to God for relief and healing from a severe pain and illness and the emotional agony that accompanies it. It's a rebuke from God. Rebuke means strong discipline. It's a sin for a sin that David has committed. Okay, it doesn't tell us the specific sin. It's not about Bathsheba. It's not about Uriah. It's not about counting all of, the, uh, of his armies or anything else. It doesn't say what his sin is for, but he has burdens that are not only physical heavy trauma of pain, but also an overwhelming mental and emotional suffering because the traumas have produced these things. Okay, many of you are gonna to relate to this. And in fact, this may be an emotional time for you today as you come before the Lord in this prayer and healing time that we're gonna have and recognize by laying it at his feet, you can be healed and delivered from those things too. So I'm gonna read for you uh, uh, Psalm 38, uh, four through 11. And if you would, if you're able, please stand up. If you're not, I understand that. But I'm gonna read Psalm 38, verses four through 11, and let you know what David was growing through and the pains that he had. Listen to this Psalm 38, beginning in verse four. My guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I am bent over and racked with pain. All day long, I walk around filled with grief. A raging fever burns within me my, and my health is broken. I am exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. You know what I long for, Lord. You hear every sigh. My heart beats wildly, my strength fails, and I'm going blind. My loved ones and friends stay away, fearing my disease. Even my own family stands at a distance. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks. You may be seated. Now, maybe you connected to that psalm. Maybe you recognize that you are going through a trial or tribulation, trouble or affliction. And maybe you're in the middle of it and friends have walked away, turned their back on you. Um, even family members, the ones you cry out to and say, hey, I, I, I just, I'll, I'll be with you later, they'll, they'll tell you. So you're not alone. You're never alone. It's a lie by Satan to say you're, you're alone. You may feel lonely, but you're never alone. So we have sources of our pain, our source of pain. Where does pain come from? There are four sources, and I'll just read them briefly. Um, pain and suffering show consequences of living in a broken world. Since Adam and Eve, we're suffering the consequences of being in a broken world. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. 
but take heart, I have overcome the world. So when Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, you can take it as a promise, you can take it as a guarantee, you can take it to the bank, but you're going to have them. But you're not going to be without Jesus when you're going through them. And you need to recognize that. So if that's you, if you can identify with that suffering or pain, then a prayer key, when you go to the Lord, prayer key is going to be trust. Lord, how do I trust you? Which means surrender control. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5. It's difficult, but with God, all things are possible. Secondly, our source of pain comes from God allows suffering to produce holiness. Let me say that again. Put your seatbelt on for that, this one. God allows pain to produce holiness. It says in Hebrews 12, it says, God disciplines and punishes those he loves. And that, that discipline is hardship. Discipline is hardship. God disciplines and punishes those he loves. Now, punishment, uh, you can use chasten or you can use scourge, but let me define the two. Discipline from God is meant to change behavior, to repent and change. Discipline is to change behavior. Punishment is to get your attention. For example, if you're driving down the road, driving too fast, you get a speeding ticket, police officers write you, go to court, you pay $100, that's, that's, that's discipline. Society is disciplining you, don't, don't speed, don't speed. If you're driving down the road and you're pulled over for your fifth DUI, they're just going to, don't pass go, don't collect 200. They're going to take you right to jail. That's punishment. We're going to get your attention. God's punishment is to break down, to build up. It's not a punishment. I have people that tell me, I feel like I'm, puni I'm being punished by God. And I say, good, good. Maybe he's getting your attention. I have a lot of people that, that sometimes have a pity party that say, oh, woe is me. He's punishing me. Well, if it's because he wants you to share in his holiness, it's a good thing because the, 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 the Hebrews 12 later goes on to say in, in uh, verse 10, uh, the second part of it, it says, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Now, now you don't have to raise your hand, but who wants to share in God's holiness? Who knew that you would have to sign? I mean, you wouldn't sign up for it, but if pain and suffering... If, if discipline and punishment were all God's purpose, there's a purpose behind everything God's doing, in order to produce holiness, I'm not sure if you'd get in line, but you would see it a different way. And, and, it, and it says in, in Hebrews 12 that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been tra trained up by it. So understand that that God allows suffering to produce holiness. Another source of pain is, uh, number three, is something evil has been done to us or to you. You have been a victim. Somebody's produced harm to you and you've encountered a toxic dump. Um, that's a difficult season. And when you get up for these prayer uh, times of healing, the prayer key for that is forgiveness. Now, I could have a whole sermon or 12 on forgiveness, but let me just tell you, forgiveness uh, does not mean trust restored. Forgiveness is commanded to us, and forgiveness does not mean somebody deserves it. Forgiveness is strictly given by grace. 
It's given by grace, and it doesn't mean trust is restored. Trust has to be earned and grown, but forgiveness, freely, we have been, been forgiven, so freely forgive. So we are to forgive, even when we've gone through the difficult times. Number four, sin or evil in our own lives has taken over. Some of you know here today and listening online that you have done something that the Holy Spirit said, don't do that. Don't do that. I've counseled for over 20 years and I have people and I ask them, okay, so you did that. You fell short of glory, small or big. Did you hear someone saying like the Holy Spirit, stop, don't do that. Don't go there. Almost to a T, everybody has, said, has told me yes. They've heard it. They've heard the voice and they've turned away the Holy Spirit. So what I want, want to help you with is to understand that our own sin in our life can change. All things are possible through, repent, through repentance, turning and changing, turning and changing, repentance. Now, let me go quickly over repentance versus deliverance. Um, there's a doctrine of, of, of repentance found in the prodigal son. Um, four, little, four points right there. It's, uh, first one is identify the problem, admit and confess it with God, ask for forgiveness, repent and turn and change, okay? So you're going through the trial, tribulation, adversity, whatever it is, you're, you're, you're going through all of that kind of stuff. You've got to identify the problem, admit and confess it with God, ask for forgiveness and repent and change. And guess what? Then comes the deliverance. Then comes the deliverance when you're asking and confessing to change and turn from that deliverance. Comes. It can be partial. It can be a growing phase where you're working on it, where you're a work in process, or it can be complete. I have dealt and, and I've got a gentleman that, that, uh, that I've known for probably 15 or 20 years, a member of this church here, who is, who's, will tell you, he'll tell you his testimony. And his testimony is wild because you wouldn't think that an addict can stop everything on a dime, but with God's power, he can. I'm just telling you, I've seen it before. It's not always done that way, but it's often done that way. So we're gonna, we're gonna move forward to, um, to, to, to go into an example of these things as, as healing takes place uh, in all of us. And that's gonna be found in, in uh, the faith, the, I'm sorry, the faith of a centurion in Luke 7. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to it. If not, you can turn to it a little bit later. Um, it's also found in, uh, in um, another gospel too. But in, in essence, what was happening, and, and most of you know the story, is there was a centurion that, that sent his uh, servant in order to, to, to pray for another servant who was um, very uh, well loved by the centurion. And so the centurion sent out the servant to talk to Jesus. Um, religious leaders asked Jesus, please go to the centurion's house to heal this man. They knew he could do it. There was a miracle there. They knew he could do it. So while he was on the way going to the house, this servant met up with him and met him and told about the story. Um, and, and this is what the servant said. Is, and it takes up in verse seven. Uh, I'm sorry, verse six, it says, so Jesus went with him and he was not far off from the house when the centurion friends sent, when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. 
Verse seven, that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go and he goes and I tell that one to come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. Verse nine, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and turning to the crowd following, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. He was healed at a distance. Then the man, then the men who had been sent to return returned to the house and found the servant well. That's a story of Jesus healing from a distance because somebody's coming after him. The next one we'll look at is following right after that in Luke also, and it's about the widow's son. Let me read it for you, please. It's in Luke 7, verses 11 through 19. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier, that's the frame of the coffin, and they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. He commanded him, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet had appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Now, what I want to do real briefly is compare and contrast these two stories by Jesus in, in the Gospel of Luke. The first one is a centurion. The second one is the woman of Nain. Centurion sends his servant and says they've got a sick ser servant. Jesus never met him. Jesus never went there. But, but faith results in recovery from, from Jesus sending the word, somebody going to him, but sending it. Uh, the woman of Nain had a dead son, her only son, a widow, which means she was in extreme trouble. Jesus met her where she was. Just like today, he's going to meet you where you are too, wherever you are. And compassion results in resurrection. Compassion results in resurrection. Luke 7, 21 through 23 says this. Faith comes, faith healing is without a formula. Faith healing happens without a formula. At that time, Jesus cured many who had diseases sickness and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers of John, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed and the dead hear. So he sent them and the dead will rise. All of those things are happening today, just like that here and now. We have disease, we have sickness, we have illness, we have evil spirits. Satan is not cast off into the, into the, the lake of eternal fire yet. Already not yet, if you read Revelation. But we have to understand that we bear a lot of burdens, a lot of loads, and a lot of weights along with us too. And the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 1, to throw off everything that hinders us. That means you have to put aside your pride, put aside those things that keep you from coming to the Lord and say, Father God, I want to come before you 
and give you my heart. I want to tell you and confess the things that I have. He knows them. You're not keeping them from him. You might be keeping them from friends and family, but he knows them. And yes, we might have just pulled off a scab or a wound or, or anything else. And, and, and what we want to do as we come forward in just a minute, we want to confess it. We want to ask for healing. We want to ask God to meet us where we're at so that we may be delivered. The power of deliverance is greater than we could ever ask or imagine, but we're told to do it. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. So before we come forward, and Trevor's gonna lead us uh, in that in just a, just a minute. Before we come forward, we've got a lot of people here, but we have a lot of people online too. And whatever you're doing, wherever you're, whatever your activities are right now, just put them down for a minute if you're online. Uh, at that beach or that mountainside or, or at the lake. And, and this prayer is going to be uh, specifically for you along with the people here too. But I want to I direct this prayer to those that are, that are listening online. So if you'll, if you'll be with me in prayer right now, uh, let's lift let's up to you to the Lord. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come into your throne room. Father, we come often to seek your hands. We want things fixed. Uh, we desire immediate deliverance. And yet we know that by seeking your face, we can know your ways better. Father, many people who are listening to my voice right now have worries, have anxieties, whether it's a mom with children, whether it's a, a single parent, whether it's somebody that's going, struggling through a physical ailment or, or a loved one is in physical um, difficulties, uh, sickness or anything else. Father, meet them where they are today. Remind them to confess to you and cry out to you uh, their issues that you already know about because you want us to meet you where we're at and where you are, which is here and now. I thank you that you're already working. Even, the, even Daniel, when he prayed and lifted up his prayer, started to pray and 21 days later, he was met by Gabriel who said, from the moment you began praying, your prayers were heard, answered, and being delivered. Sometimes we wait for that delivering. We wait for that time that's coming. Father, we know it's coming in anticipation. So we thank you in advance. That's what's called faith. Not just gratitude when it's already happened, but faith is thanking you in advance. And we're thanking you now for all your good and all your glory poured out upon us. Hear the cries of our heart. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray, amen.